0: This teaching comes to you from the team at Anchor Church Sydney. We hope you're blessed by it. For more teachings, resources, or info, check out our website, www.anchorchurch.com.au. Father God, we thank you that you're a good God. And we thank you that you walked into the mess of this broken world on that first Good Friday, that you gave your one and only Son to die in our place and for our sins, to put right the wrongs of this world. But God, we thank you that you did not leave Jesus dead, but that three days later, by the power of your spirit, he was raised from the dead, conquering death, defeating death, walking out of that grave and offering us new life. Father, this morning, we celebrate this new life. And so we pray now, as we look at the resurrection of Jesus, that you would open our eyes to see the beauty, the wonder, the significance, the relevance, the joy that this truth brings us. God, we pray that you would meet us this morning. We ask it in Jesus' name, and all of God's people said, Amen. 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 A number of years ago, before Steve Jobs, the great Steve Jobs founder and CEO of Apple, passed away, he was on record speaking about death, and he said this: He said, No one wants to die. Even people who want to go to heaven don't want to die to get there. And yet, Death is the destination we all share. No one has ever escaped it. And that is the way it should be because death is very likely the single best invention of life. It is life's change agent. It clears out the old to make way for The new. That sounds quite profound, doesn't it? Especially from a man who was facing his own imminent death himself. And for Jobs, it seems at least that death is a part of the natural cycle of life. That death presents itself as life's change agent. It ushers out the old and it brings in the new. And it seems there that there's this profound value of the new, which doesn't surprise us for a CEO of a tech company that just produces new models every two years and wants people to buy into them. There's this celebration of the new there, and yet that's a profoundly Western concept. I wonder how that would work in a, in a more Eastern concept in an Asian culture that values the old. Right? It's not simply that the, the new replaces the old in a better way. There is something about Jobs' quote there that jars with us. Death doesn't feel natural to us. And yet today on Resurrection Sunday, we will celebrate almost the exact opposite of what Steve Jobs goes on record saying. That death, in fact, is not the final destination that we all share That yes, Jesus did face death. He didn't escape death, but he faced it. He stared death down. He conquered it. He defeated it. He rose again from the dead, offering us hope beyond the grave, offering us eternal life, offering us life now. There is something profoundly different that the the Christian message offers us than what the predominant worldview around us offers us, and that is hope. Jesus Has been raised from the dead. Now, as I say that, I recognize there's a massive assumption that perhaps you may not share this morning. And that assumption is that we believe here at Anchor in a literal, historical, actual resurrection from the dead. Like this is not some metaphor or symbol that we hold to. As James has already reminded us, this is a true story that we read of here on Resurrection Sunday. You know uh, some research conducted in 2011 suggested that uh, asked all these Australians average Aussies what they thought about the resurrection of Jesus 47% of Aussies said they did not believe in the resurrection at all 21% they partially believed in the resurrection I'm not really sure how that's possible if you partially believe in a resurrection or not but anyway or maybe it's just like well I think it's true maybe I'm a bit unsure For the lack of any other better options, I'll tick partially believe. And then 31% of people said they fully believe in the resurrection of Jesus, which in my mind was staggering that that many average Aussies believe that Jesus physically actually rose again from the dead. And so maybe you find yourself this morning in the half of people who don't believe or the 20% of people who partially believe. And if that's you, then I want to give you some reasons for why we believe the resurrection actually took place. Now, I mean, these reasons are a sermon in and of itself, and I'm going to rush through these, but we believe this along with a whole host of other reasons about the resurrection. So the first reason we believe it is that the resurrection was both prophesied and predicted. Old Testament prophets pointed towards and predicted hundreds of years before the birth of Jesus that the Messiah would come that the Messiah would be crucified and that he would rise again from the dead. In fact, Jesus himself in Luke 9 predicts his own resurrection. He says to his disciples that the son of man the son of man will be harshly treated. He will he will suffer, he will be rejected. He will be crucified, and on the third day, he will rise again from the dead. Jesus himself predicts his own resurrection. Now, that's it's not like the vagueness of a star sign, right? Like, this month, you're going to meet someone interesting, right? I mean, that's so vague. It applies to everyone. This is specific and impossible, right? If I said to you, I'm going to walk off this stage and continue to levitate in the air for the next three meters without falling to the ground... That's specific and impossible, right? And what I do next determines whether or not that is true. Jesus predicts that he will rise again from the dead. And then three days later does just that. That's the first reason we believe that this is true. The second reason we believe this is true is because the resurrection was widely accepted in a skeptical culture. I think it's very easy for us to look back and think, well, of course, they were all religious. They were warm to this anyway. Of course, they're going to believe a resurrection. But in fact, Greek culture did not believe in a physical bodily resurrection. Greek culture believed in an afterlife, but their version of afterlife was that you, you died and you experienced a soulless existence. Oh, sorry, a bodiless existence, right? So that you, you're earthly bodily self is bad, it dies and your spiritual soul life continues to live. They had no category for a physical earthly resurrection like Jesus. But what about the Jews? The Jews had a a view of the afterlife, but their view was at the very end of time, God would raise everyone back from the dead. They had no category for an individual person who would come back to life. And so Jesus is risen again and in a vastly skeptical culture, a worldview that was not ready for a resurrection, there are vast amounts of people who put their faith in Jesus and believe the message that he rose again from the dead. The third reason we believe this is that the tomb, as James has already mentioned this morning, the tomb is not enshrined. There is no... Tomb that you can go to that you can be certain of that this was the tomb of Jesus because the early Christians did not enshrine it, did not travel to it, did not worship at it because Jesus simply wasn't there. Additionally, there is the evidence of the empty tomb. In the first century, you imagine if the disciples wanted to make up a story and begin to spread a rumor about the fact that Jesus had rose from the dead. And all of a sudden, the Jews and the Romans were confronted with this story. The simplest way to end that rumor would be to produce a body, right? Say, well, here it is. It's a rumor. It's not true. The body of Jesus is right here. Here is the the, the holes in his hand, the holes in his feet. But the evidence of an empty tomb cries loud. There were people who were not ready to accept a message of a risen person who believed on the evidence that there was a tomb that had nobody in it. Fourthly, we, we hear of the eyewitness accounts of the resurrection. Jesus appears to his disciples after he was crucified, and they astonishingly are not ready for it, even though he predicts it. The very fact of death was so stark and real for them that they weren't ready. And so he appears to the 12 in a locked room and blows their minds. Additionally, Jesus appears to 500 people at one time. And Paul says, if you don't believe me, you can go and ask any of these 500 people who all saw him. Jesus also appears, we're told in the Gospels, the very first witnesses of the resurrection are women. Now, in 2019, that's, that's a non-fact. But in the first century, that's profound. Because if you were going to make up a story and have people believe your story, there is no way that you would include women as the first witnesses. Because in the first century, a woman's testi- testimony was inadmissible in a court of law. Couldn't stand, couldn't be held, wasn't valid. And so if you're making up a story, you wouldn't include the testimony of a woman in your story. It makes it unbelievable. And yet the Gospels tell us that the first eyewitnesses to the risen Jesus are women because that's just simply how it played out. Fifthly, and this is the one that's most profound for me, is that even Jesus' own family worshipped him. I don't know if you've got siblings what would it take for you to worship, literally to bow your knee and worship your brother or sister? For me, that would take quite a feat. It would take quite some convincing from my younger brother for me to bend my knee and worship him as God. And yet, Jesus' whole family, his older brother, his younger brother James, worships him. And not only his family, but his sworn stated enemies, people like the Apostle Peter, worshipped Jesus. They're convinced of who he is, of what he's done. And finally, we believe in a literal resurrection because of the transformation that we see in the disciples of Jesus. The gospels close with the disciples cowering in fear and cowardice in an upper room, worried that the same people that crucified and executed Jesus are coming for them next. And yet, after a number of days, after an encounter with the risen Jesus, the disciples step out and boldly proclaim Jesus, the risen Jesus. Their message is one of a resurrection. And then almost every single one of those apostles are martyred for proclaiming that message. If they willingly knew that they were peddling a lie, none of them would die. We only die for a truth that we hold to, that we believe. And so these, along with many other evidences, shout to us that this is a historical event, that this actually took place, that we have credible reason to believe that Jesus walked out of that tomb 2,000 years ago on the face of this planet and gave evidence to those who saw with their eyes and wrote it down that we might believe that Jesus is alive, that the tomb is empty. This is the historic confession of the church, that for millennia, On Resurrection Sunday, in fact, on almost every Sunday, the church has confessed that we believe. We believe in the forgiveness of sins, in the resurrection of the dead, and in the life everlasting. The church has confessed that creed for years and years and years. And today, we join literally with maybe 2.6 billion people on the face of this earth. A third of the world's population today will celebrate the fact that Jesus rose from the dead. You know, there's a lot that the church doesn't agree on. A lot of theological difference that happens in the church. But there is one thing across the spectrum of Christianity. There is this thing called the resurrection, that it doesn't matter where you land on that spectrum. Christians hold to and believe that Jesus rose again from the dead. And so today... We join with billions of other people in celebrating the fact that Jesus is alive, the tomb is empty, the throne is occupied. That's our confession this morning. That death became life, literally. Like in that tomb, after three days, the heart of Jesus that had not beat began to beat and pump life. And blood around his body, and his lungs gasped air, and strength returned, and he walked out of that tomb. Like that actually took place, and that has profound significance for us. The resurrection of Jesus unleashes a harvest of life. It unleashes a harvest of life. This is what Jesus says in John 12, verse 24. Truly, truly, I say to you, unless a grain of wheat falls into the earth and dies, it remains alone. But if it dies, it bears much fruit. That is, a seed dies, it then germinates and grows up and bears fruit. One theologian said that, this, that killing Jesus was like trying to destroy a dandelion seed head by blowing on it. You've all done that before, right? Pick up the dandelion, you blow on it, and those little seeds scatter everywhere. And those little suckers embed themselves in the grass, and then life grows up. That's what happens when Jesus is crucified, was, died, and then rose again three days later, is that a harvest of life follows and so what does the resurrection mean for us? Well, I'm going to give you three things this morning about the resurrection, about the hope that it brings for us. And perhaps you consider yourself in the 47% here this morning of not really believing that the resurrection is true. And I want to suggest to you that even if you don't believe, you ought to want to believe because these things are so profoundly significant for us. The first is this. If the resurrection is real, it means we have hope beyond the grave. We have hope beyond death. You know, almost every ancient culture had a belief in the afterlife. Almost every single one of them. Even Buddhism, with its you know, end goal of non-existence, has a version of the afterlife embedded in its beliefs. But what about 2019? What about in modern, scientific, post-enlightenment culture? Surely a belief in Western culture now, in the resurrection is untenable. Well, a recent research that was done in Canada, which is probably far more culturally similar to Australia, we're far more post-Christian than the US, and so our culture is probably far more like Canada. This research in Canada suggested that millennials are more likely to believe in a resurrection than any of the generations that have gone before before them. Why? Why is it that the younger generation believes or is more willing to believe, more ready to believe in a resurrection than those who have gone before. Well, I want to suggest to you that there is this deep yearning in our culture for something spiritual, for something eternal. And that the writer of the book of Ecclesiastes will say the reason is because God has placed eternity on our hearts. That we yearn for that because we've been created for that. We were never meant to die. Death is an intrusion into God's plan. And so we yearn for something more. In fact, C.S. Lewis, the author of the Narnia series, says this, "...if we find ourselves with a desire that nothing in this world can satisfy, the most probable explanation is that we were created, we were made for another world." My guess is every single one of us, we feel the tug, the existential tug of eternity, of of longing for something more than simply cradle to the grave. We yearn for that. We long for it. And the resurrection tells us that there is, that there is something more, that there is life after death. Have a look at what the apostle Paul says in 1 Corinthians 15 verse 20. He says this, But in fact, Christ has been raised from the dead, the firstfruits of those who have fallen asleep, that is, who have died. For as by a man came death, by a man has also come the resurrection of the dead. For as in Adam all die, so also in Christ shall all be made alive, but each in his own order. Christ, the firstfruits, then At his coming, those who belong to Christ. That idea there of first fruits is this that uh, Israel's worship, when they took the fruit of the very first harvest, they would take the best of that first harvest and they would take it to the temple and offer it to the high priest as an act of worship. That this was the best of the first harvest. But it also represented that what has been offered there is similar to what will come. That's the concept of the first fruit, that Jesus, as the first one to have been raised from the dead, will usher in others just like him. It's very similar to the process of brewing beer. I don't know if you've ever tried to brew beer. Many years ago, when we first got married, in order to save money, I decided to brew some beer. And the way that brewing beer works is you brew beer in a very large container, and then you decant that into smaller bottles, and you leave it to ferment and brew for a number of weeks. And then after that period of time, there is a moment of truth when you open the very first bottle of beer. And that bottle will indicate to you what the rest of your brew will look like. Either it's too fizzy, or perhaps a a couple couple of bottles exploded in the garage on, on the way to that date. Perhaps it's completely flat. But whatever happens to that first one gives you an indication of what will happen to the rest. The rest will be like that. In fact, my very first brew was a, a stout that was completely flat, not fizzy at all. But I was so committed to the cause of homebrew that I think I attempted to drink the first few bottles and then gave up and just poured the rest down the sink. But the Paul's point here is that exact picture. That the first fruit, the first fruit of the harvest is an indication of what will come. That Jesus is the first part of the whole. And that since he, the first, the, the true human, the truest human has ever lived, was raised from the dead, so too the rest of humanity will be raised as well like he has. He is the first fruits. You know, every founder of every world religion has some concept of the afterlife, some concept that we will experience existence after we die. And yet only Jesus comes back from the dead and proves that what he has said about the afterlife is true. And that's what makes Christianity entirely unique to every other religion and worldview, is that Jesus rose again from the dead. And that brings hope. It brings us the promise of hope beyond the grave. In fact, it's what makes Christian funerals very different. Christian funerals are places where there is deep sadness, yes. But there is always this tinge of hope and sometimes even joy. Because we know that death is not the end. We don't agree with Steve Jobs' speculation about what happens after we die because we have seen a risen Savior come back from the dead, conquer death, and offer us an assurance that this will happen to us as well. Jesus rose again from the dead. It gives us hope. We believe that the moment we die is not the end, but simply just the beginning. And so we have the hope and the promise of eternal life. But that's not That's not all. It's not just some hope that we have in the future. We actually have life now. And that's the second thing that the resurrection means for us. We have life now. Jesus says this in John chapter 11, as he attends the funeral of his best friend Lazarus and speaks to Lazarus' sisters, Mary and Martha. He says this in John 11. I am the resurrection and the life. The one who believes in me will live Even though they die, right? We get that. If you believe in Jesus, you may die, but the reality is there is something after the grave. And then he says this and whoever lives by believing in me will never die. That there is this process of belief and faith in Jesus that grants us life that we were truly meant to experience. That true life, not just everlasting life, but life now is encountered and experienced as we have faith and trust and belief in Jesus. Last week as we were walking through Romans 6, for those of you who are here for our Romans series, we saw this concept that we've been united with Christ. By believing in him, we're connected to Jesus And that as he dies, our old self dies with him. And as he is raised again from the dead, we experience new life in connection with Jesus. And Paul will say a very similar thing in Colossians chapter 2. This is what he says. Having been buried with him in in baptism, in which you were also raised with him through faith in the powerful working of God, who raised him from the dead, and you... Who were dead in your trespasses and the uncircumcision of your flesh, God made alive together with him, having forgiven all our trespasses. One of my favorite punk bands is a band by the name of Rise Against. And they have a song that starts like this. Simply because you can breathe doesn't mean you're alive or that you really live. Simply because you can breathe. Doesn't mean you're alive or that you really live. These guys are not Christians. But they get this concept of the fact that we can be outwardly alive and yet inwardly or spiritually completely dead. And that reality is true for us when we are bound and trapped by our sin. But Jesus dies and he pays for that and he rises again to offer us new life. And so we're no longer bound by that and we experience life, true life, life in connection with our creator, life as it was intended to be lived. A couple of weeks ago, um, someone gave our kids a gift. It was a remote control car. It's amazing remote control Mustang, really cool. But the problem was they didn't give the kids the remote. They just gave them the car. And it was a secondhand present, fair enough, but the kids are driving this car around, pushing it around the carpet, and making "Mm," car noises, and all this kind of stuff, and I'm observing this thinking, this is so sad. They don't know what could happen if they had the remote control, they could drive this car around the house with this thing, and yet so often we live our lives in ways that was never intended to be lived. Spiritually, we're dead on the inside. Jesus' resurrection brings life and grants us the life that we were created to experience. And I want to suggest to you this morning that we will never experience true life until we experience life in connection with God. Every single one of us is created for worship, for relationship, for connection with God. And there are many in this room who will bear witness and testify to the transforming change that Jesus has made in their life. It's been my story. At the age 17 where I gave my life to Jesus and at that moment, even though I'd been alive for 17 years, felt profoundly alive in a way that I'd never felt before. Jesus brings us life, true life. So the resurrection offers us hope beyond the grave. The resurrection offers us life, true life. And thirdly, the resurrection offers us the promise that God is making all things new. That's the promise, that God, has not, God is not going to leave this world in the mess that we experience it. And it is a mess. If you look around our world, terrorism, increasing tribalism, the, the dramatic rise of mental illness, global financial insecurity, we look around our world and it is a mess. And the promise that God gives us in Revelation 21, I am making all things new. I am making all things new. And the resurrection is the first glimmer, the first glimpse that that promise will happen. That the best truly is yet to come. That we do not need to settle for a now. That we look forward to the fulfillment of the promises of God. That he is making all things new. You know, Jesus, when he's speaking to Martha, the sister of Lazarus, at his funeral. He asks her a question. And the question is a profound question. He declares, I'm the resurrection and the life. And then he says to her, do you believe this? Do you believe this? And that's my question for you this morning. Do you believe the resurrection? Do you believe that Jesus has defeated death and rose again? Do you believe These promises, do you believe the implications of this for life? And perhaps you're here this morning, you might say, well, no, I don't, or or maybe a bit. And you've got more questions. Then we would love to journey with you to help provide you the answers that you need. Or perhaps you're here this morning, you think, you know what? I've not believed this or I've stopped believing this for some time. But today, I need this hope. I need this narrative in my life. I need Jesus. If that's you, then our prayer team this morning would love to bless you, pray for you, and lead you in a prayer of confession and repentance to receive the free gift that God has on offer to you this morning. Perhaps you're here this morning. You say, yes. Actually, yes, I do believe that. I do believe that Jesus rose again from the dead. I do believe that the tomb is empty, that the throne is occupied. Yes. Then if that's you, then I want to encourage you to live in the fullness of the riches of the resurrection of Jesus. That we, by faith, can have assurance of the future. Knowing that there is a home that the Father is preparing for us. That we can have joy in life now knowing that we experience life the way that God intended it to be, life in connection with our Creator. That you can have confidence, knowing that the very same Spirit that raised Jesus from the dead is alive and at work in you, transforming you, making you more like Jesus. If that's you, if you say yes, then live in the freedom of the cross. It is the evidence That the cross was sufficient and that the father vindicated the son's finished work by raising him from the dead. That every sin has been paid for. Definitively, it is finished. And the resurrection is the proof. If that's you, if you say, yes, I believe, then live in the fullness of the riches of the truths of the resurrection by faith in his name.